Welcome to the Ask Zach Show. I'm your host, Zach Childs. I've spent the last 30 years working in the music industry here in Nashville, Tennessee, during which I've done everything from touring with major artists like Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood to playing the nastiest dive bars or even the occasional wedding. This show is all about barreling down the rabbit hole on all things guitar and the music we love. We will cover the legendary players, gear insights, and even some interviews along the way. I hope you enjoy. To support the show, follow the links in the description to find out about my Patreon page. Or go to my store at AskZach.com to pick up a coffee mug or t-shirt. Now, let's dive in. friends and welcome to Ask Zach. Today we're going to talk about the pioneers of the Fender Stratocaster. These are the guys from the 1950s. You know, of course the Strat came out in 1954. But these are the cats from the 50s that really put the Strat on the map. That made people go out and buy them and, uh, and love them. And uh, these guys are important. And some of them are cats you're aware of, and some of them are, are not. Some of them are ones that it was a long time before I was aware of them. So uh, we're going to learn something here. Well, at least I hope so. First off, I need to thank my Patreon supporters because they are what keeps this thing going. And I appreciate them so much. Thank you. Secondly, I need you to know that every single Ask Zach episode, I think we're up to like number 177 or something like that, is now available on podcast so anywhere you listen to podcasts you can listen to ask zach and so we're all caught up getting the past episodes uploaded and so now i'll just be uploading one podcast a week you know that's of course the companion to this it's the same same thing so just for those of you who would rather listen instead of watch on the youtube so 
Thank you guys. And uh, now let's dive in. All right, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about uh, two players who, of course, influenced the creation of the Strat. One you're probably familiar with, Bill Carson. And he was a Western swing guitarist that played a Telecaster and didn't like the uh, three saddle bridge, wanted a six saddle one for intonation reasons, wanted a vibrato, wanted uh, you know contours because he wanted it to fit like a tight Western shirt. And uh, he wanted more pickups. I think he actually wanted four because uh, he felt like they would go under the nodes, uh, the musical nodes. And, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, he wanted a, a, a sleeker, you know, upgrade, wanted the vibrato, you know, one of those things on a guitar. So you probably know about him. And the reason you know about him is that he was a player only up until 1957. I mean, he continued playing the guitar, but he wasn't a touring musician anymore. In 1957, he went to work for Fender. And so he's been someone that historians have had a lot of access to, and he even wrote a book himself. So there's a lot written about Bill Carson. The other cat uh, you're probably less familiar with, and that's Rex Galleon. And Rex Galleon was the other cat that was pushing Leo and company to make the Stratocaster. Same things. He wanted a vibrato, of course we call it tremolo here. Uh, he wanted more pickups, he wanted more sounds, he wanted better intonation. And he's kind of forgotten, but you've seen his guitar many, many, many times. In every Strat book, there's a picture of his Strat. Unfortunately, on his Strat, it says David Gilmore, because Gilmore became the second, I guess we're actually the third or fourth owner of the guitar, but Rex Galleon was the original owner of the Strat that had the later neck plate put on it that said number one. It was not the first Strat, and so it was a custom Strat that was made for Rex Galleon in white with, of course, an anodized gold pickguard, and who knows, it might have had Bill's, I mean, not Bill, it might have had Rex's name on it, or who knows what, or maybe it didn't have a serial number at all. Maybe it was, uh, you know, his girlfriend's phone number or something like that. But anyway, the original neck plate was removed and the one that has a couple of zeros and a one was put on there. And so all those times you saw the David Gilmore uh, Strat serial number one, that was Rex Galleon's guitar. So there you have it. And again, those guys were important because they asked for it. However, let's just stay, you know, one foot in reality and uh, and say that you know it's one thing to request something and it's a whole nother thing to make it and leo and freddie and don randall and all those cats those are the ones that made the strat they made it happen it's one thing to say it'd be nice to have a phone to walk around with all over the world it's a whole nother thing to make it so all right uh i need to mention that uh two things about those players and that's Bill Carson. I found a clip of him playing, and it was with a cat named Doy Odell, and the song is Diesel Smoke and Dangerous Curves. And so if you wanna hear him play Western, you know, kind of early 50s Western swing style guitar, there's a link in the description with that video. Also, uh, just to, to give Rex Galleon a little bit of a plug, Deke Dickerson did, uh, wrote an article on his website 
talking about how he felt that Rex was a major influence on Dick Dale and his tremolo picking. So I'll also put a link to that, which is uh, quite fun. He makes a, uh, a pretty logical assertion uh, that uh, Rex was the influence that brought about Dick Dale's playing style. So there you have it. Now to the players. First off, I need to talk about someone that I didn't, I had no idea how influential they were as a guitarist because by the time I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, unfortunately, he was more known for being uh, ex-husband of a megastar and, or he was in the news for uh, getting arrested for things. And it wasn't until I read an article written by Dan Fort where he was interviewing Jimmy Vaughn and Jimmy Vaughn talked about his favorite players and one of them was Ike Turner. And years later, I was finally able to track down some of these recordings, of course, once we had the interweb and such things and, uh, you know, Apple Music and Spotify and YouTube, all of a sudden I could hear these beautiful tracks and, uh, and that opening thing that I played on the bridge pickup, the... That's uh, just one example of Ike Turner's really cool playing. And that's a, that's a tune called You Gotta Lose. And man, Ike was an early practitioner uh, of, you know, pushing... The, uh, the elements and the abilities of the Strat. And he really took the whammy bar, the tremolo bar, as they say, and really used it to extremes. And uh, long, you know, long before Jimi Hendrix did. And uh, you really owe it to yourself to uh, track down some of these recordings. Uh, a lot of them are on the Cobra label and uh, yeah, a variety of different things. And some of the things... Uh, were under other names, but now they're they're classified as that name and Ike Turner. So Ike was a a huge influence on other players, other players that uh, that saw him or were around him, and he continued to be a Strat guy for the rest of his career. So of course, all the time with Tina Turner and and on, he uh, he tended to play a Strat most of the time. He really liked the sound, and he really used it well. Another cat that recorded on Cobra was uh, Otis Rush. Otis Rush was another early cat to pick up the Strat. And that was some of the stuff that I was playing. And I think he was one of the early guys to use kind of the in-between positions. And you get those, those things that... Uh, then you also get uh, the lick or kind of chordal lick that I learned from Kirk Fletcher, which is this. Uh... That's really nice. Um, that was another thing that Otis Rush would do. And in an interview with Otis, I found that Otis Rush began playing the Strat because of another cat that not enough has been written about, and that's Earl Hooker. Earl Hooker was a Chicago area guitarist who was 
way ahead of most of the guys te with, technically with his playing and also he was way ahead of most of the guys with gear and so he was always getting whatever was the latest thing he was very adept at you know straight up blues guitar playing and slide and he played slide in standard tuning he was a phenomenal player and there are clips of him online playing a uh, a Les Paul, a black Les Paul copy with his name in kind of mailbox letters, Earl Hooker, and you can kind of get an idea for how great Earl Hooker was. But uh, he is actually mentioned by a number of cats. Even though he wasn't famous for playing a Strat, he was uh, influential in a number of guys, including Buddy Guy, in uh, picking up the Stratocaster. All right, next I need to talk about Pee Wee Creighton. So Pee Wee Creighton was uh, a, another blues guitarist that uh, made started making a, a career for himself in the 1940s. He was T-Bone Walker influenced, but had a, uh, I would say, definitely a more aggressive guitar style, but it was very influenced by T-Bone. But he had a really smooth vocal style, and his records are great. He's another one that I uh, highly recommend you listen to, and there's a, a number of his albums that the cover is him with his 1954 Strat that Leo gave him. That's like, it looks like it could be Dakota Red or some custom mix of red with a gold anodized pickguard, and the early pickup covers that come apart, and uh, oh my goodness, it looks cool. And even later album covers, uh, the guitar is just getting beat to hell and it just looks fantastic and Pee Wee is another cat that you need to check out and uh, Leo loved him enough uh, that again he gave him this red Strat in 1954 you know one of the earliest custom colored guitars with a twin amplifier and uh, yeah Pee Wee was a, a great player and I was told but that guitar is on display at the Memphis Blues Museum. So uh, next time I'm in Memphis, I'm, I know where I'm going besides the rendezvous. All right. Uh, now, a guitarist that I wanted to talk about and, and didn't was Buddy Guy. And that's just because, I mean, he really, he did record some with Ike Turner in the 50s on Cobra, but then he went over to chess and was really kind of relegated to a sideman. And uh, they thought his playing was a little too wild. And uh, it isn't until later that he's really able to do his thing. But uh, Buddy is super influential. So I guess he does get mentioned here regardless. All right, let's move on to, uh, to Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly is probably, uh, I guess, you know, one of the best known 50 Strat players. And uh, of course, he's from Lubbock, Texas, and he, uh, you know, was playing bluegrass in a duo called uh, Buddy and Bob. The Bob was a Bob Montgomery, and they saw Elvis on one of Elvis's first tours when he only had the the first, you know, single out that was uh, "That's All Right, Mama" on one side, and the other side of the 45 was "Blue Moon of Kentucky." As soon as they saw him they knew what they wanted to do because they, you know, Buddy and all of his friends, they all loved R&B music, but they didn't feel like they could perform it. And so they, uh, you know, they just kept performing bluegrass and country tunes. Well, when they saw Elvis, all of a sudden he kind of 
made it legal, as it were. And so they started doing R&B and blues tunes. And then he started, of course, writing his own songs. And, you know, he forms the Crickets. And he gets his brother to co-sign on or to sign on a loan so that he was able to get a brand new 1955 Strat and I believe a twin or a pro. And, uh, and that's the guitar you see on the uh, Chirping Crickets album cover. And that album cover sold a lot of Strats because that album had, of course, uh, you know, That'll Be The Day, which I played some of that in the, in the intro. And uh, you get those really cool. And, uh, you know, and the solo kind of thing. Really, really nice uh, stuff. Uh, Buddy was a great player. He mixed his kind of country and, and blues playing together and was hugely influential. And of course, with his dying at an early age and that kind of boosting his career, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people, you know, bought the uh, Chirping Crickets album cover and saw he and uh, the rest of the band holding his 55 Strat along with Nicky Sullivan and the rest of the band holding his uh, Gibson hollow body and uh, of course Buddy was also on the Ed Sullivan show and you know toured all over the place and even went over to the UK and did shows and television uh, in England so big uh, proponent and ambassador for the Stratocaster uh, so a lot of guitars uh, next up uh, is a guitarist with Gene Vincent uh, Johnny Meeks and so I guess this is dual, you know, Gene Vincent, Johnny Meeks. And of course, my favorite guitarist has to be, you know, Cliff Gallup that played with Gene Vincent, but of course he didn't play a Fender and he didn't stay with Gene very long. And so during a uh, kind of a, a high area of Gene Vincent's career, Johnny Meeks with, was with him and he brought that twangy Stratocaster, uh, you know, style. To Gene Vincent's sound and he uh, he and the whole band were featured in this very 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 influential uh, you know photo a series well there's you know a series of photos of the whole band with brand new Fender guitars where you know the uh, three of the guys are holding uh, white or you know Mary Kay strats and then the bass player is holding a matching 5556 P bass, which is the old style with the, the pick guard that comes up to here and the, the big single coil pickup, what you know, what some people call the tele bass. Um, and that is another photo that uh, sold a lot of strats. And of course, Johnny Meeks appeared with, uh, with Gene all over the place. And they, uh, yeah, they, uh, they brought the strat sound all, all over, all over the world. Next up is, uh, is Eldon Shamblin. So Eldon Shamblin, of course, was uh, one of the guitarists in uh, Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, kind of off and on. And Leo had tried to get him to play a uh, broadcaster, no-caster, telecaster, and Eldon wasn't really interested. And so in 1954, Leo made Eldon a, 19, yeah, a, a first year 
gold strat and Eldon put uh, amp knobs on it, chicken head knobs, and he used that beautifully with uh, Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. And if you really want to hear that him and that guitar uh, at its best, I recommend listening to uh, oh, it's Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys for the last time. And also he's on the uh, uh, Best Damn Fiddle Player, uh, Bob Wills tribute record that, uh, that uh, Merle Haggard did. And I had a chance to play that guitar and hold it. So here's a photo of me with that guitar. And it's a really cool Strat. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun to get to play it through an amp and, uh, and hear it. It's a, it's a killer guitar. And another one of those, it seems like Leo did these custom colored guitars for uh, people that he loved and appreciated. All right, our final cat is someone that I was very familiar with but probably a lot of you weren't, and that was Buddy Merrill. So Buddy Merrill was the guitarist on the Lawrence Welk Show. So if you're not familiar with the Lawrence Welk Show, well, you're probably not, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't <laughs> put too many, you know, uh, you know, crazy words associated with this. But basically the Lawrence Welk Show has been on television since the 1950s and the reruns are still running to this day on PBS stations in the US. So still most every Saturday night uh there 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 it is. There's the Lawrence Welk show. It's still going on. And so even when I was growing up in Texas, I would usually watch the Lawrence Welk show on the local PBS station uh before uh Austin City Limits came on. And so I would watch it, and first I just thought it was terrible, but then all of a sudden they would show the band, and then there was Buddy, and uh, you know a lot of the later shows that were in color, they had both Buddy and another cat named Neil Levang. And they played a lot of cool Fender guitars. Uh, you know, and I know I'm kind of getting off the 50 Strat thing, but they had maple cap neck tellies and Strats and six, you know, bass sixes and pro reverbs and twins and all sorts of crazy stuff that they played electric mandolins uh guitar you know, strats with custom pickup neil levang had a had a late 50s strat that had custom pickups that were that were uh, wound to sound more deep and fat with a gold anodized pick guard but let's get back to buddy buddy of course was probably the uh, biggest endorser for Fender in 1954-55 in that early range because he was on ABC, you know, national television every Saturday night and he was, you know, many times featured on the show and he was brought on the show to help bring in a younger crowd because of course the Lawrence Welk show was leaning old probably when it was first introduced and and you know, whenever it first started uh, being broadcast on radio. But uh, Buddy Merrill was a fantastic guitarist and he was featured in full page Fender ads and he uh, was a great proponent for the Strat and he played of course a Sunburst model in 54, 55 and then later on had a white Strat and he had some with gold you know, anodized pick guards and things like that. But uh, what a what a great player and uh, you know if, if you want to go down a rabbit hole you, you can uh, you know search Buddy Merrill and, uh, and Neil Levang and get all sorts of cool uh, cool examples of them playing. Sometimes they're pantomiming, they're not playing live, but uh, at least they pre-recorded the stuff. All right, so let's um, 
I feel like I need to do kind of a book nook bibliography for this because there were a lot of things that helped me out. Uh, one was uh, Bill Carson's book, and I've mentioned this before. This is a great little read by Willie G. Mosley and, and the late Bill Carson. Uh, this is a great little book, and you learn a lot about Bill Carson's career with Fender. Uh, this, unfortunately, is out of print. Uh, this is Fender Stratocaster, a celebration of the world's greatest guitar. Uh, Ray Minetti and, and Bob Young. Uh, this is really nice. It has really good interviews with a lot of cats. And this is where I learned more about Otis Rush and Buddy Guy and some other cats. This is, this is a good one. Maybe you can find it used. Uh, another thing was Dan Fort did an interview with uh, Jimmy Vaughn where he listed off a bunch of his favorite players. And that's where I learned about Ike Turner. And uh, it was in this special issue from the mid-1980s of Guitar Player Magazine called Texas Guitar. I mean, how are Texans supposed to not be arrogant as all get out? You know, when you get a special you know, issue of uh, Guitar Player Magazine just covered a Texas co covering Texas guitar players, you know, Billy Gibbons and Jimmy Vaughn and Eric Johnson and Steve Ray Vaughn. Yeah, winter of 1987. Uh, so yeah, another one. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. And this this was taken from some past, I think, guitar player interviews and such. And so it's it's nice. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you watching and uh, hope you enjoyed uh, my fixation with uh, the Strat. So this is all because I got this, you know, hunk of junk and uh, really enjoying, you know, messing around with it. Haven't had a Strat in a while. And uh, so, uh, you know, get prepared. I, I, it won't be all Strats for the rest of the year, but there may be some more Strat related episodes coming up. All right. Again, thanks to all my Patreon people, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Ask Zach podcast. If you want to dive deeper, Check out my website, askzach.com, to find more articles and further info on each episode. And remember, it is the support from you, the listener, that keeps the show going. Thank you, friends.